Dotnet Rocks, episode 1091. Recorded Friday, January 16th, 2015. Hey, 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 Carl and Richard here with another Geek Out. How you doing, my friend? I am well, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm so great. I can barely contain myself. <laughs> I've, I've, I just don't know where to start. I'm just, everything's going great. All good things all the time. Yeah. I like um, that. The coding is going well, of course, and the music is going well. I'm almost done with my project and looking forward to some more composition on top of that and man i'm just you know if i were any busier i'd have to clone myself well it's and it's 2015 right it's a new year more stuff you know it's it's good fun it's all good fun there's just so much to do there's no excuse for boredom nope definitely no go 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 yeah well anyway i do have a better no framework for today's wave power geek out i love it Buddy, what do you got? All right. Well, this is about wave power, which is about harnessing energy from motion. Right. Right? Wouldn't it be cool if you could harness enough energy from walking to power your phone? That would be interesting. Go to Soul Power Tech, S-O-L-E Power Tech dot com. So as in soul of your shoe soul. That's right. It's an right. insole for your shoe. Oh, interesting. And a little thing that goes on the top of your shoe. And a USB cord that hangs out of your shoe that you plug your phone into to charge it. Do you wear? Would you wear two of these? I guess you would, huh? Oh, why not? Yeah, why? If you have two phones. You got, you got two feet. <laughs> yeah, really. Then you <laughs> might as well use it. So this was a Kickstarter that was funded. Okay. And uh, now you can pre-order, I guess, these things. And, uh, you know, there you go. Interesting. Yeah, so more ways to generate power. Some nice videos. If you go search, uh, I think you can go to, uh, you can go to tinyurl.com slash shoe charger. And that brings you to the, uh, to the Kickstarter campaign, which has been funded, as I said. Right. But the video is a little different there. So, yeah. There you go. I, I'm i interested. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. You know, we, we're always looking for ways to generate power and, and be able to do that. And yeah. and, and back in the, um, uh, what was it, $75 or $100 for a pair of the things? So yeah. back in back here in the Kickstarter days, now it's just on pre-order. So right. we have to wait. All right, that's what I got. Who's talking to us, Richard? Cool. Grabbed a comment off of show 762, and that's the one we did way back in 2012. About wind power. Oh, man. You know, and you'll see as we get further into this whole conversation, wind power has a relationship with all of this. And this particular comment comes from Baron Berger. And he made this comment three years ago, so he's going to get a little surprised that we're reading it now. And Baron's from South Africa, where he says, Hi, guys. Loving the Geek Out shows, and I've learned a lot about electricity in the last few. <laughs> You've covered just about every generation technology so far, but one I have not heard anything about, and which I'm quite interested in, is using ocean tides and or wave power. Are you planning a show at this point? Is the technology advanced enough to warrant a show? Hmm. Nah. No, 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 we're not going to do that. <laughs> not going to do that. 
Of course we're doing it. Uh, we're doing it right now, Baron. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'll send a .NET Rocks mug out to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. All right, man. Wave power. Well, you know, I you can't even call it wave power because it's really about power from water. And in fact, every time you look at these different sources, I mean, waves are one form of that. It's all about water, one so, way or the other. Yeah, it's either about the content of the water or the movement of the water or the weight of the water, the gravity, something, right? In, I mean, in the end, you're always going to move water to spin something or to, to move, you know, create energy in some way. But you wouldn't call it hydroelectric, would you? Well, hydroelectric is one species of water power and, and arguably the most successful one. Like, yeah. As of 2010, 16% of the power generated in the world came from hydroelectric power. That's wow. a non-trivial number. Yeah. Right? And, you know, China currently leads the world for, for power generation with hydroelectric. The Three Gorges Dam is incredibly vast. Like, it's a massive, massive uh, uh, hydroelectric dam. And the amount yeah. of power it generates is, is unbelievable. And it, it is considered a renewable resource because you're just capturing water and releasing it through turbines. Mm -hmm. To allow to generate power. And it's a res really responsive power system, too. You can turn off and on turbines on demand, fa arguably faster even than something like a natural gas power plant, which is considered a very responsive power plant. You know, lots of many power plants, like it takes days to get a nuclear power plant up and running and generating electricity reliably. Yeah. When you talk about stuff like coal, the biggest problem with varying power with coal is that you have it's the coal shipping. You have all of these trains typically bringing coal to the plant, and if you want to turn down the plant, you're going to be buried in coal very quickly. Yeah, yeah. So actually, turning down the mining and tr and shipping process is is hard to do. But hydroelectric has this elasticity because it stores power really well. You just keep water behind it. In fact, there are versions of hydro power where they actually pump the water up to a reservoir as a way to store power. It's about a 50% loss, the yeah. amount of energy it takes to pump the water up. But considering how hard it is to store power, that's acceptable in certain cases. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all about getting uh, a resource that's renewable, that's easy to um, to get at. You know, the hydrogen economy never really panned out, or it hasn't yet anyway, partly yeah. because, yes, hydrogen is the most abundant element. It's everywhere, but we can't get it. Right. Because it takes power to separate water from hydrogen. Yeah, and, and it's hydrogen hard to store. Oxygen. Yeah, it's incredibly hard to store hydrogen. It's very resistant to storage. Yeah. Right? They, they, that's part of the challenge with it. And I want to start with hydroelectricity because everybody thinks they understand it. You know, it, it's a, it's a knowable one. And there are aspects of it that relate to every other way that we generate power around water mm. that isn't involved boiling it, which is what right. coal and nuclear and all these other ones do. Right. Um, I mean, because there's no, there are downsides. There's no free lunch here, right? There right. are downsides to hydroelectric power. There's a big debate going on in my neck of the woods right now. A lot of British Columbia's electricity is generated by hydroelectric. We have a lot of mountains. Yep. And we have a major site currently known as Site C that is in discussion for putting a dam in. It was spec'd out for a dam in the 1960s, but we just didn't need the power. Where in Canada is it? This is be in the northeastern corner of British Columbia. Okay. So. 
that's Western Canada, but this is a wilderness, a long way away from everything. Although mm. uh, there's native land there, and it's not the it's uh, on a river because you need water, and that river flows largely into Alberta. Okay. And so there's a lot of concern. You know, it's, it's, you don't see a lot of dams built these days in the Western world. There's a reason China is leading right now because they don't, they, you know, they're less concerned about the impacts of the flooding that is created by a hydroelectric dam. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, river beds and river banks are really valuable land. You know, humans have lived alongside water and rivers for, since humans existed because they're, powerful land they're useful land it's where food is that's where uh water is which is an essential ingredient like you need those things right and when you build a dam you flood that terrain uh you're destroying valuable terrain and and and, you know there's a lot of discussion about the carbon damage that that does Mm -hmm. how much carbon you're ultimately releasing by killing plant life and and uh, the environment in the the reservoir effect of a dam. In the cases of the Three Gorges Dam, which is, you know, currently the biggest dam in the world in, in China, you were talking about thousands of years of history, really ancient villages and things that were going to be and have now been flooded by the construction and operation of this dam. So, wow. you know, hydroelectric, while in a really interesting power source. I mean, in, you know, again, the argument is in the generation process, it's carbon neutral, but in the creation process, it has serious consequences. Right. It affects downstream, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest where we have all the salmon, we actually built ladders and things because fish wanted to go upstream and they can't get up past the dam. Right. And so we'd, we'd build a system so they could go around the dam. You know, none of this stuff is simple. If you're going to maintain an ecosystem yeah. and anytime we're going to interact between earth and water and all of these mechanisms, there is an ecosystem to consider. Sure. I mean, not to mention uh, the other uh, problems with water based solutions, which we'll get to coming up here. Yeah. And you, yeah, and funny you would say it that way. You know, one of the biggest challenges in hydroelectric dams is how the water strikes the turbine. You know, and this is stuff. Uh, your family's been involved in with submarine construction, yep. cavitation, the separation uh, and creation of air bubbles between a turbine blade and water is incredibly destructive. It's effectively boiling the water when that happens, right? And it will rip a turbine apart. But this is the stuff that they use in uh, torpedoes and things like that. That mm-hmm. are yeah. That cavity, I mean, that's short lived. You, and you were talking about a hydroelectric turbine. If you don't have really smooth water flow across that turbine, you will wreck that turbine. And in the pro, and even when you run it well, you still have enough cavitation that a, on a routine basis, these turbines have to be dried out and, uh, re-welded. The surfaces, uh, inside the chamber and on the blades has to be repaired. I don't, not to mention the corrosive effects of water and, uh, the, the muck and gunk that gets in there. It's a kind of a messy business. Yep. Yeah. Interaction with water, especially living water. Yeah. Uh, causes a lot of problems. So, yeah. you know, let us not believe for a moment that you build a power plant and just run it and never need to worry about it right. again. It needs maintenance and uh, certain environments are more difficult to maintain than others. Sure. And I, and I wanted to bring up hydroelectric power because the dam model, I would argue, is pretty much the only model making power in a significant way right. when you talk about other water-related sources. So hydroelectric, uh, certainly the best known. Tried and true. Up on rivers, damming rivers, and, and you know, off in many cases, including the Three Gorges Dam, 
one of the effects of using of using a dam there was to control flooding was hmm. to be able to regulate water flow in certain areas and another class of power generation which you can put into this category is a uh, tidal using tidal power is this approach called barrage uh tidal damming okay so a barrage is a how do you uh, spell a, that a barrage b a r r a g e oh like a barrage like yeah. a barrage from cannons yeah yeah right? okay uh so a barrage is a kind of seawall it's a seawall that leaks Okay. Okay. So, uh, and they've been built for a long time without generating power with them either. So you typically build, why do we build seawalls? Like well, a we, levee or something to keep the water out? Now, a levee is like a dam. You're actually holding water back. In yeah. the case of a barrage, what you're trying to do is decrease the violence of wave action. Oh, okay. Sure. So you have a structure that's taking the tops of the waves off, but it's got openings beneath. So the water still comes and goes, but the force is mitigated. Yeah. You, you put, allow the force to um, impact against this concrete or stone wall out away from the shoreline so that you have less violent shores. And I you see. see structures like this all the time, seawalls to create safe harbors. Right. Right. I want to be able to anchor my ship or, or moor my ship and it doesn't get battered by waves or tourism, swimming, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You want to create calm water. Right. And what you're also doing is you sort of restricting flow. So all the way back in the 1960s, uh, they started building power plants this way. And, the, and for a long time, the largest one was in France, in Brittany, actually, mm-hmm. a place called the Rance Tidal Power Station. Now, this is both a river flow and a, it's a, but it's a tidal river. So there's big enough tides in that area, water coming and going that the river gets higher and lower, uh, several times a day, mm. right? Following the tides. Okay. And it's an interesting part about all of these power generation techniques is when do you get to generate power? Well, how are they generating power from a seawall? Are they basically capturing the force of the wave crashing against it? They're at what, what's happening is they're waiting until the tide gets to a certain height. Uh-huh. Well, as the tide's going up, you can put turbines in line underneath that wall. Oh, I see. So that the water is forced through the turbines to get in there. Okay. And then as the tide goes back down, it's forced back out. And because it. you're restricting the rate of the flow of the tide, you actually get longer power generation. So generally when you think mm-hmm. about tides, you think about uh, a high tide and a low tide every day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Very predictable. We know where they are. And tides aren't always consistent. You know, if you're into uh, into traveling on the sea, you learn pretty quickly about lower low water and higher sure. high water based on moon position versus sun position uh, for tides. But all of this is very predictable. You know when the tide's going to happen. So you know when you have high flows. So, you know, a lot of folks are concerned when you think about tidal power is that, well, it's only going to run, it's only going to work well when the tide's running hard. Mm -hmm. But when you use these barrage techniques so that you are basically restricting the rate that water can come into a space and restricting the weight that it can come out, you can get almost continuous power generation. Wow. All like In the case of the RANS system, it's almost 22 hours a day. There's power being generated from rants. But it's still not as uh, uh, as much as a hydroelectric dam would no, do. No, it's 240 megawatts at peak power generation. Okay. Now, that's not a small amount, but it yeah. averages to about 60 over the course of a whole day. Okay. All right? But that's a realist, That's a real amount of power. Yeah, that's, sure. That's a small power plant, effectively. Um, and you, But you are creating a barrier to the Rance River, so they had to put a... Uh, a canal lock system in so that ships were able to get above the barrage 
and 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 go up the river because this is a navigable river and and come back down again. So it's not cheap to build these things. Like it is a hydroelectric dam is not a cheap thing to construct, mm. but they're very long lasting. You know, it's, it's, they took about 20 years for the Rance power plant to be paid off. And since then, but it's still running, you know, it was paid off in the eighties and they're still using it today with a certain amount of maintenance. Well, now I know you're probably going to get to this, but I'm really interested in these wave tubes, like the, the Palamis wave power. Yes. Tubes. Let's, let's do those last. Cause those are most interesting. I think I, I tend to agree with you, but I just wanted to talk, you know, part of this is a whole conversation about how we have been using water, you know, uh, not to give away the ending, but there is no production wave-based power plant currently operating anywhere in the world. It's funny, we said the same thing about wind. Yeah. Sort well, of, well, not no, that No, there is exactly. production wind. Right? There's production wind, but the percentage of power that it generates is pretty small. But growing. You yeah. know, it's, all of this is going in the right direction. Like, the news is good for alternative energy as a whole. Mm-hmm. And a lot of wave research came in in the early 2000s. And I want to talk about a, f- a few other aspects of tidal power. So, okay. we talk about hydropower. And the nice, biggest thing with hydropower to its strength, the reason it's been dominant, is you have total control. Once your dam is full and you have water, you run power at the quantity you want when you want. Right. But as soon as you're going to play with tidal and wave energy, you are subject to what the tides are and what the waves are. Yep. And tides that and creates waves. its own set of problems. Um, and in the, in the barrage area, and then I want to move off of that, I mean, part of the problem with barrages is you are affecting the tidal flows of a given area. It can cause sewage problems because you're used to mm. being able to put things in a river that just goes off into the ocean. Well, now that you're restricting that flow, those stuff can build up. Sure. In fact, the current largest tidal power plant is one built in South Korea, and it was never intended to be a power plant in the first place. It was originally a seawall built. This is in, in South Korea in an area called Siwon. Mm-hmm. And in Siwon, they built a, a seawall uh, over a, a tidal plains area to collect fresh water. So they actually got rid of all the salt water. They were trying to create more fresh water for agriculture. So capture more of the river. And be able to distribute that water uh, onto agricultural land so they can intensify their growing. Okay. The problem was too much pollution. The water became so polluted, collected in this, uh, this, uh, behind the seawall that they couldn't use it for agriculture. It was that bad. And so they started pumping seawater back in to flush out the pollution and just use it as, as a seawall. And then they came to this idea of, hey, we can make this into a power plant. And they put in 10 turbines. And it generates, it's not the most efficient system because it was not never built for this in the first place, but it's currently the largest tidal power station out there. And the Koreans are really into it. I've been reading a lot about the stuff they're doing. They're building another power plant over in the area of Inshan um, that they could be as high as a terawatt of power. It would be, if it works the way they're planning on making it work, and it's currently under construction, it should be done by 2017. If it does what it's supposed to do, it'll generate more power than all tidal power plants currently in existence. Whoa. So, yeah, coming up between 800 to a terawatt worth of power. Holy so, crap. But it, what, I, what I appreciate about the approach here is this is combining something that humans have been doing routinely, which is controlling their shorelines. Yeah. Right? You build seawalls to reduce damage and control flows, and, and now you can combine that with power generation. So stuff you were doing anyway, I mean, it makes a really interesting thought that where you might be building a seawall 
there's potential for a power plant there. Mm. But there's sort of a median point or, or a split point between tidal power and tidal stream generation. So barrages are like dams against the ocean. Right. Right. And if the water flow is a little more routine, so you have a lot more water flow because you're dealing with tides. But there's also much more like wind turbines. You have submerged water turbines, yeah. tidal stream turbines. So you put these turbines in places where you have significant tidal flow. And there, there are a number of spots. You can't just put it anywhere you want. Uh, the company called Sea Generation sort of has the – the most successful product line, I think, in this particular space. Okay. And, it, you know, part of un- when you're digging through all of these different technologies, trying to sort them out, you, you sort of look for success levels. Like, have they got stuff in production? Is it still a research project? Are they looking for funding? Still looking for investors? Are they bankrupt? And a big thing I could say in favor of seed generation is while the company's been around for a while, you know, they, they, they started back in the nineties and, but they actually got a production plant in place in 2008. Um, they got bought by Siemens in 2012. Hmm. And Siemens is the big German electric power company, right? Well, the Siemens is into all kinds of things. They're like General Electric from Germany. Yeah. So, you know, you want to know how viable this technology is? A big, super conservative German company has bought this technology and is installing it here, there, and everywhere. Well, there's two reasons a big company will buy a small company, right? One is they want to utilize it and utilize the technology and sell it. The other is they want to get rid of it. Well, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. You know, I'm not. I, it's pretty hard to justify suppressing technologies for very long, but. Well, at least they can control it and make their own decisions. And do about their own it. things around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you look at tidal stream turbines, they look like wind turbines. They're just smaller. Yeah. In the case of the, because water's so much denser, you don't need as big a blades. So uh, the sea generation plant it makes a lot of sense. This is a tower that is embedded on the sh- on the ocean floor. Uh, that has a pair of turbines attached to it. And the turbines actually can go up and down. And it looks so, like a windmill, you say? It does look like a windmill with a pair of turbines on it. Huh. Each turbine generates about a megawatt, which puts it in the class of wind power. Huh. You know, it took a while for wind power to get up to a megawatt. Now there are two, three, and four megawatt uh, wind turbines. But this is in – these are not toys. This is a completely reasonable scale product. So I got a question for you. Yeah. At the bottom of the ocean, at the ocean floor, is there more or less water wind power (laughs) than uh, closer to the top? It depends on where you are. Like if you're in the Gulf Stream, I imagine it's pretty good. Right. You know, but you're right. Only up to a certain depth do you get significant flows of water. It's hard to find significant flows of water deeper down. That's what I'm saying. And to be clear, in CGEN's case, they only say their towers will go to 38 meters, right? So maybe 100, 120 feet. Okay. So they're in places where it's shallow, relatively shallow. So they're still getting the movement. This is not deep ocean stuff. It's not in the Marianas Trench. No, but it is... (laughs) The blades are completely submerged, right? There's a tower that sticks above the water, yeah. and they are able to raise and lower the two turbines so that they can service them above water. And one of the recurring themes in researching all of these technology, the ocean wrecks stuff. Yeah, and turbines wreck stuff, too. 
Well, now you hit a run of really interesting point. I mean, you know, that's a nice little food processor for tuna. You know it's, what I'm saying? <laughs> right. The same way that wind turbines are hard on birds, yeah. these water turbines are hard on sea life. Sure. Uh, they they don't spin very fast, but you know it's a propeller fixed in a flowing stream of water where the where the wildlife has the least control. Yeah, and it, I imagine you can get rid of some of that with grates and things like that, and grids or you know. But meshes. all of those things then clog. And all those things clog. Yeah, right? so the quick, marine life does what it does. Yeah, you, you at some point something's going to slip through. You also have moving parts, right? Those bearings that actually support allowing those uh, turbine blades to spin, they're underwater and they're under a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so the corrosion's a constant problem, which is why they need to be able to bring them up, clean them, repair them, you know, all of this stuff needs maintenance. And it so while well, it adds to the cost of the power generation. Absolutely. Yeah. So in the, and so where currently or within the past few years based on the research that's available you average about three and a half million u.s dollars per megawatt uh, of power generated for wind power so if you spend three and a half mil you can build a one megawatt tur uh, uh, wind turbine and generate electricity with it so i guess the cost benefit analysis is how much do you sell that energy for right yeah. Well, you, you buy it, and then how long do you get to run it for, yeah, right? right. And so, wind's about three and a half million per megawatt. Uh, in the case of C-Gen, it's four and a half million per megawatt. Mm. So, it's more expensive than wind power. But what's the difference between tidal power and wind power? Yeah, okay. Well, uh, both wa wind and water are fluids. Yep. So, the only difference, besides being one underground and one above ground is maybe uh, the viscosity or the density of the fluid yep. and, uh, you know, how corrosive they are. But there's other, the other aspect here is you don't know when the wind's going to blow, but yeah. you certainly know when the tides are coming. That's true. Right? Yeah. So tidal power, while intermittent, is less intermittent than wind. Mm. It is You know exactly when the power is going to be generated at its peak load and its lower load, which when you talk to power folks, that's what's important. I don't know, Richard. If you've ever been on State Street, uh, you could uh, pretty much count on wind coming up from the river there on State Street in New London. <laughs> well, and you're right. And I've certainly <laughs> been in spots in Denmark where, you know, the wind blows all the time there pretty much. Yeah. But you're, but those places are also difficult to put windmills in. I mean, the windmills have the eyesore problem, right? Yes. You know, there's, if, and here's the thing. If there's wind, there are probably structures that are helping to channel and create that wind. And if there are structures, there are probably people. And if they're people, they don't want it. They have to look at it, right? Yeah. And so you, and to be clear, when you talk about these turbines, there is a t tower sticking up and you can decide how ugly that is, but the blades are underwater. Right. So, and, and to their credit, when we talk about tidal stream generation, this is a real product owned by a significant company. They make a few different versions. There's a floating version too. So a big barge and they actually have the turbines hanging underneath so they can put in temporary power in different locations rather than just fixed. And the question is, how strong are the tidal flows? How well can you collect the power? You don't want too much tidal flow, too. There's a pro, uh, the CGN company is actually doing work not far from me in, in, a, in an area called Race Rocks, which has a very strong tidal flow. Hmm. Um, they're, they're looking at, can they put a turbine in there? 
uh, or several of them. Imagine when you've got a significant flow, like arguably the one of the greatest tidal locations in the world is also in Canada. It's a place called Bay of Fundy on the East oh, yeah. Coast. Yeah, been there. Unbelievable flow of water. Yeah. Well, and it's huge. You could put a lot of these turbines into the Bay of Fundy. And cold and pretty sparse. There aren't a lot of people up there. It's a tough area. Yeah. The folks that live up there, they're sturdy folk. They are real, they're fishing folk. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, interesting way to collect power. And, you know, when you collect power at sea, and they do this with wind power too, you've got to get that power to shore. So, you know, you're running underwater cables. There's some conversation about the issue around those cables and what effect they have on marine life, as well as how well they last. Mm. So, but it is all part of the equation when you figure that. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm sort of starting with a good news story here. Well, before you tell us the bad news, you know what time it is. Uh, it must be that happy time. Yeah. yeah, it's time to drop a couple of tunas in the barrage and make a big sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> beep, beep, bring on mm. the mail. Beep, yep. beep. Yeah. I think, yeah, you made a little tataki, a little chopped tuna. A little chopped tuna there. So uh, that's what we got to worry about. Actually, it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before we tell you who it is, Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Derek M. Smith. Congratulations, Derek. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Derek just won the D-Experience subscription from DevExpress. That's a big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of stuff. And uh, it's probably my turn. But, uh, or might be your turn. I don't know. No, you do it, buddy. I don't, it's all you. I don't know, man. I think if I had $5,000 right now, I might, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I might invest it. You always have the out of getting a good guitar or, you nah, know. you know, I'm, I'm not materialistic that way right now. Nope. Yeah. You got enough guitars I in your life? I got plenty of, I got more instruments that I can play. <laughs> I, I think I might buy some time. That might be what I'd do. There you go. Yeah. How do you buy some time? Well, uh, you know, you know what I do? I would send everybody um, that takes my time in the world on a vacation, which they go. need to do, <laughs> you know, from time that to dude time. dude needs a break. You know, and uh, that would give me time. I'm, time. You know, I'm starting to work. You talk about spending $5,000 wisely. I'm starting to work with an assistant, which is costing me a certain amount of money. Yep. To see if I can take certain projects off my plate that, that she can take care of for me. Is it working you know? out? We're just getting started. It's been the first month. And it's been really fun. Mm-hmm. This has made me think differently about some of my projects and, mm-hmm. and how to get her engaged in them. She's not going to be me. Yeah. But she can take over certain things and, and move them along. That's so pretty it's cool. Been, it's really interesting. It's a, another way you could spend five grand. Yeah, that was out. Jonathan Zuck's thing, right? He's like, yeah. I would buy a personal assistant or I would hire a personal assistant if I had five grand because I need more time. Yep. Yeah. Maybe only for a couple of months, but at least it'd be something. All right. You talk about the good news. What's the bad news? Well, and I only talk about good news because what I've talked about so far are 
working power plants that are actually generating electricity. Okay. And we still and haven't talked about the the uh, the tubes. Nope. We're going to get there. All right. It's an intri- it's one of the many of them and the, and the various companies involved all have interesting histories which I've enjoyed reading about. Um but yeah, we now let's talk about wave power. So tidal power is does not is typically is submerged, right? Those turbines are below the waves. Yep. They're always going all the time. What about but buoys? In, well, that's one of the techniques. So when we talk about wave power, we talk about different techniques. Yeah. What are we going to do to capture that up and down motion? So one way is a point absorber buoy. So I have something typically fixed on the bottom mm-hmm. that has a buoy above. Yeah. And uh, although there are versions of buoys, like buoys have been around for a long time, and there are buoy power generation systems just for generating power for the buoy itself, where it's pretty much free-floating, but every buoy is anchored to the bottom somehow. So how does that work? I mean, how is it? How is a buoy going to capture other than bobbing around? Well, so I have an anchor on the bottom, yeah. uh, typically with the power generation piece down at the bottom as well. There's a f- bunch of variations on this. And then I have a floating piece, and it may be floating on the surface, or it may be floating submerged. There okay. are both versions. Uh-huh. Uh, and so as a wave comes through, it pulls on that floating piece. Okay. All right. And now it's a question of how do you convert that pull into energy? Well, it's just like a hand crank generator, you know, you basically pulling something or pushing something. So in the case of the Lyskill power generator, this is something out of Sweden, the buoys floating on the surface, it's raised and lowered by wave action. And that cable then is being pulled. It has fixed magnets against the stator. Uh, at the bottom, mm-hmm. and that pull essentially is creating uh, the electricity front by moving back and forth. Huh. Okay, it's, it's what they call a linear generator. Interesting. I'm thinking about a buoy now. If a big wave came in, the tide was coming in, I would that buoy would just if I could let out a lot of rope or chain or whatever it is, then uh, it would pretty much just go and go and go. Well. Yeah, it would go, it would go a ways till the wave, you know, till the tide goes the other way. You yeah. don't want it to go too far. I mean, the, the sum total motion is the pretty much the height of the generator, which mm. may be only 10 feet. Okay. So you don't need a lot. And, and part of the challenge here is waves are not always the same height. Uh, you know, it, it, when you especially talk about all year round, as soon as we're going to play in wave action, we got to start caring about storms and things. Yeah. You know, even wind turbines, when it gets too windy, they have to shut them off. They'll rip themselves apart. Right. And so tidal action, you pretty much know what the worst tide's going to be. And even then you could lock the turbine to slow it down. But wave action's all over the map and you do have storms and things to deal with it. And a lot of the pieces I've read of these different companies that talked about. And then after the such and such storm, yeah. the site was destroyed. Yeah. The buoys were all gone because yeah. it was so violent. One of the challenges when you deal with buoy action is that they're relatively small. In the case of the Lyskill generator, you're only talking about 10 kilowatts mm. per buoy. Mm-hmm. So to get to a meaningful amount of power, you want a megawatt of power, which is, you know, one big wind turbine. You need a hundred of them. Yeah. And that's a lot. Yeah. Right. And they all, that's all a whole bunch of stuff floating on the surface, a whole lot of cables going down into the water, a whole lot of units in the bottom. The power it's generating is largely is DC, so it needs to be aggregated ashore, converted to be actually used. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of parts that can break. Now, again, as soon as you have moving things in the ocean, right, that, that point where that cable goes into the linear generator coming in and out of the water, that's a 
going to be a challenging thing to maintain. Well, I've and heard about these things. They they look like rubber snakes that uh, they don't have. I mean, they are one big moving part, but it's not like a turbine that goes through it and corrodes right. it and stuff. Have you have you seen those? So that's the Pelamis approach. Okay. So Pelamis uses uh, a a snake, uh, typically a five segment. They're they're really quite big. Uh, the, the original model is 120 meters. The P2 is 180 meters long. Uh, so imagine, yeah, big and brightly painted red so you can see them coming. Mm. And the actual power generation happens inside those cylinders. Uh, but what they're counting on is the fact that it's a, it'll naturally float, uh, pointing into the wave action. And as the wave travels down, it makes the different segments of the snake flex. And that flexing turns a hydraulic uh, turbine. Now, hydraulic as in hydraulic oil. Okay. So this is an oil generation approach. Uh, company started back in the early 2000s. Many of these innovative wave companies got clobbered by the downturn in 2008. Yeah. So Pelamis's sort of peak moment was in 2008. They actually got a deal with the country of Portugal to place this offshore plant about a five kilometers offshore in an area called Aquadora. Mm-hmm. Uh, three lines, each one capable of 750 kilowatts of generation, so a peak of 2.25 megawatts. That's still, you know, windmill range. Right. But floating on the surface, towable for, for maintenance, you know, it's it's very realistic, right? And uh, while the peak at highest wave action, it'll generate two megawatts it all depends on the level of wave action in fact there was uh some testing done that showed at its low point it was only 150 kilowatts so from a power management point of view it's tricky you don't necessarily know how much power you're going to generate based on the wave action i think you learn over time um but once again you have the real issue which was so they got that thing it, it got out late the it got out in 2008 it was supposed to be out the year before they had a power the, of course the downturn happened in 2008 right and so the company that was owned the project, not Pelamis themselves, but the company that owned the project, ran out of money. Uh, and so they got, you know, suspended and they were going to sell the power project off. And in during that time, there was a problem with the bearings. So the connection point between those individual units of the snake flexing back and forth, they had problems with the bearings. And so to stop them from sinking, they were towed to shore to be repaired. Meantime, they're out of money, so they can't repair them. Pelamis is working on the P2 version. So they were going to get rid of them and get the bigger ones. Because, you know, always the case with power generation is like bigger is better. Right. And over the course of that process, uh, Pelamis themselves ran out of money. This only happened recently. It was just the end of last year, November of 2014. Pelamis was put, quote, put into administration, which is such a polite term for we're out of money. They couldn't raise any more money, and so it, it sort of sunk. So, it, But to their credit, there was a period of about two months in 2008 where they actually generated electricity. Wow. Uh, it, and then it broke. And then it's just this chain of, of problems. And it's just, it was the time. Yeah. Lots of companies were going down. This was a casualty of that. And so apparently at this particular moment, those units are sitting at shore in Portugal awaiting either maintenance or replacement. But all of the company, the folks involved are, are shut down. That's a shame. I mean, and it's that's, a great idea. Yes. But again, it's not, nothing's free here. Like, 
they that's got to be scaled. It's got to be maintainable. You know, I, I'm sure they feel like they were very, very close. But I'm not sure that from the outside, when you look at these, that they were really working well enough yet. I think a megawatt per per snake is the minimum. Yeah. Right? That you could look at it like a windmill, but it's the maintenance uh, practices and durability that's going to matter. That thing's got to be able to run for a year before you're really going to be sure. And I, and the biggest issue for me, and I just don't know the answer to this, I don't know that anybody does, is do you have a place with waves so consistent that you can actually count on how much power you're going to generate at any given time? Right. The amount of flex between those tubes is what matters in terms of generating electricity. Mm. And so, yeah, it's an interesting battle, and waves are just not that consistent. Yeah. I, I, you know, getting back to the shoe thing, yep. there are lots of ways that you can harness connect, kinetic energy without turning turbines. Because tur- turbines tend to be, uh, you know, kind of sticky and nasty and whatever. Um, you look at seaweed. You know what seaweed does? It sort of bends with the tide and all that yep. stuff. You can make some sort of bendable um, kinetic uh, energy transfer device that looks more like seaweed or flapping, you know, clotheslines or or something like that, that would flap and harness energy. You know, they may may not be so maintainable. Well, and and, I, and how much power will it really generate? Like, there's yeah, a reason know. we use turbines. They generate power very smoothly. Right. Right. If you can control the rate of flow of air or water across the turbine, you're making AC power. Yeah. You're done. You don't have to convert it. You don't have to do anything yeah. else. Yeah. Part of the problem when you deal with all these other power generation systems, including the Palamas system with the hydraulic turbines, mm. is that's not clean AC. You're mm. going to have to take it ashore and modify it to put it into the grid. Yep. Turbines make power you can put directly into the grid, which is why you keep getting back to turbines when you talk about effective approaches now i can't remember from our windmill talk the um doesn't the the windmill have to spin at just just the right amount of uh rpms in order to get power yes and the re and the way they do that is by varying the angle on the blades hmm. so self-contained in the wind turbine is a system monitoring the rate of the turn of the turbine mm-hmm. and controlling so as the wind level goes up and down it can maintain that consistent rate and you can see this when you watch wind turbines mm. different size turbines turn at different rates but for a given type of turbine when you see it going you see a bunch of them going they're all going the same rate and if you're looking underwater you can do the same thing absolutely yeah for the same reason and you know and even I think more so huh well the water's denser, the blades are shorter, but they can also be angled. So as, and you, and again, you know what the flow is going to be. Right. Right. Be, given area for a given tidal range, for a given lunar position, yeah. you should be able to compute the flow pretty cleanly. Have there been any advances in materials that are less corrosive or, you know, stand up to the, the rigors of the ocean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as soon as you get a, you look at stuff like carbon fiber. Yeah. And, and some of the epoxy resins and things, stuff that's just will repa- just not affected by water corrosion. Yeah. So that's certainly helping. And, you know, I've talked about two very different designs here. There's sort of five categories of modern wave power. The, 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 the buoy approach, which they call a point observer, where it's a, a point going up and down. Surface attenuation, which is the snaky approach. Mm. And then really the other one, the other one that I think is the most interesting is, uh, oscillating water columns. Mm. 
So you know, and you've done this, you know, if you've, if you've been around the ocean at all with a wave action, if you put a cylinder into the water, put any hollow thing into the water, the water goes up and down inside of it as well as around it. Right. So there's a company called Ocean Links. That's Ocean L-I-N-X, Australian company. Okay. That use that box approach to capture wave action to actually force air in the column through a air turbine. Interesting. So get the turbine out of the water, make it out of materials that uh, are resistant to corrosion, and just spin. And the funny thing is it'll spin both ways. So as the water's coming up the column, it's going to spin the turbine one way. And as the water goes back down the column, it's going to create a vacuum and spin the turbine the other way. So it's an air turbine that's controlled by the water flow. Right. And so it sits on the surface of the water. Ah, Interesting. Right. And as the water action comes, as you get wave action back and forth, it's going to spin that turbine back and forth. Still subject to corrosion, but not as much debris, maybe. Yes. So we get out of the, now the thing that's in the water hasn't got moving parts. So I don't have that problem. It's visible. So you can decide how much you like that. Although it's a barge, you can make them big enough. They could be far enough offshore. Hmm. You can't see them, but then you just have to cable it back. Uh, you still have to deal with the issues of the turbine itself. Uh, and, but, you know, saves, they've, they've gotten good at uh, creating the chamber just right so that they can control the blowhole effect and, and have very consistent power generation. Mm. And that company went broke, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, also recently, that was they went into receivership in March of 2014. So they're looking for more funding to try and bring it along as well. They got to the prototype stage. They actually had hardware in the water generating electricity, but not at a production level, still at a test level. There's quite a few wave projects. The Swedish one I mentioned, the Lyskill, is in a test project. There's hardware in the water generating electricity. There's another buoy project, an Australian one, that's actually generating power in the water today, just not in production. Hmm. And that, you know, the theme is pretty consistent. Right. Of, and part of this is just that economic times meant that the financing was an issue. But as long as energy costs are staying high, there's always going to be money for new research, which I think brings us to an interesting close on this whole conversation, mm-hmm. which is with oil on its way down, mm. dramatic, With no end in sight, really. With no end in sight. And right away, uptick in U- U- SUV sales. <laughs> yeah. Know, we it's going to be harder and harder to to justify the research costs involved in bringing these power systems online uh, for better or worse you know we should just take a few minutes and talk about your thoughts about what's going on in the oil market from where i sit the saudis are looking to crush the american oil market yep without a doubt and and the, and, the, and the americans are in an interesting position because they, the folks they're squabbling with, like Russia, are m- dramatically affected by reducing oil prices. Right. So, you know, on one hand, you could say, yeah, this is kind of hard on the uh, the oil industry the oil in the companies, U.S. Yeah, but it's also beneficial internationally. And it, but there's a bigger part that's really going on here, which is w- the world's been overproducing oil for the past few years, and the tanks are full. Right. We have a glut of oil. Right. So. Uh, until that glut is dispersed, and that may only take a couple of years, oil prices are going to stay lower as the glut 
subsides because plant production will shut down. And that's happening in Canada too. Yeah. You know, our tar sands only make sense for generating, for being pumped at a certain price. And we're below that price right now. Yeah. And so projects that are done may be still pumping, but all research projects have stopped. Anything being developed, they're shutting down. People are being laid off. Yeah. You know, now the, the benefit of lower energy costs is greater than the impact on the specific industry, but it's still an impact. It's a dance that you play back and forth with. Yeah. And, you know, not to get off on a, on a, another tangent, but, you know, it's all related. Um, the oil pipeline, that's such a political hot button issue. The Keystone. Keystone. Yeah. yeah. My, my thought about this, and I don't know if you uh, agree, but, uh, I, I don't think it's a bad idea because the oil is going to travel south anyway, but it's going yes. to travel south via much more dangerous and costly means if there is no pipeline. Right. Pipelines are the safest way to move oil. And I guess the the opponents of the pipeline are 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 uh, the the arguments are mostly environmental. Is that true? Yeah, well, yeah, because um, you're digging through wilderness and upsetting natural habitats and things like well, that. Well, and it, you can really question that in the case of the Keystone Pipeline because there's already a pipeline there. Mm. They're expanding a pipeline that already exists. Oh, okay. Uh, oil oil spills are always destructive, but the question is: Is it more destructive to do it in a pipeline, or is it more destructive to do it when a bunch of oil cars uh train cars overturned and in the last five or six years there have been a lot of train accidents in canada yes. haven't there and and in the u.s, in the US, as, US well, as well because we've been moving so much oil by train yeah and so there's an argument there that the pipeline you're going to move the oil anyway why not move it the safest most maintainable way well anyway i don't i don't claim to be an expert on that issue but just from what i've heard in the news um that's that's where i'm leaning but i i would love to you know have more conversations about that i totally with you. And I think it's very relevant in this conversation. I don't expect much the, the state of affairs to change for wave power anytime soon. Yeah. Where there's not a lot of energy to do more investing in this at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's going to, they're mostly in maintenance level. There's lots of interesting ideas. They just haven't matured enough. The technologies that were, are working and are making power right now are tidal. Yeah. The wave ones, they're going to need uh, a change of scene before we see more moves again. All right. That's it, man. You're I think that's the last of the power generation ones. I don't know if we, you know, this one been, was neglected. You know, you think this, the wind one we did was back in 2012. Yeah. We finally did the wave one. So I'm pretty happy about that. But uh, folks, if you, if there's other kinds of power generation we've missed, please, please send us a note. Uh, comment on the show. Send us an email at uh, donatrocks at franklins.net. Uh, we want to hear from you. There's lots of shows to make, and uh, we make sure we're making the right ones. Yeah, send us an email. Get us online, whatever. Tweet us. You know what to do. Just uh, just give us some suggestions. And uh, that's the show, Richard. It's I always learn a lot talking to you. You know, we don't do this enough. We really don't. You know, I miss it so much, and we're not together and hanging out and just talking. Right. Uh, we, uh, we learn a lot. Thanks. For sure. All right, buddy. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. 
online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a